0: continuing our series through 1 Peter, Uh, so if you would please open your copies of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, We'll be going through verses 1 through 6. I've really been enjoying 1 Peter. Uh, I've really been enjoying going through uh, this with you all. Uh, I I like the way that Peter kind of threads theology and application throughout uh, his letter. Um, I also really have been enjoying... Uh, the way that he, he'll, he'll say something, and, and you'll kind of scratch your head and you'll say, what, what are you talking about? But then when you look closely at it, uh, you'll realize that he's just talking about following Jesus. And we're, we're going to encounter uh, two verses that are like that uh, here this morning. And Peter's going to continue some themes, and he's going to start some new themes for us that we'll see throughout the weeks. But one of these uh, ideas that, that Peter is getting at is this idea of suffering, this idea of um, we, we bear the name of Jesus, we, we, um, we live our life well to, to honor Jesus, and um, we will suffer because of that. Um, we, we, will, uh, be, be we, we will be persecuted, we will be abused from, from those outside the church. And I, I think that a lot of us know a little bit about what it means to long-suffer. Because we, we do it in a lot of ways, and, and we may not realize that we're doing it. Uh, we do it with our sports teams, right? We endure uh, losing games and losing seasons, right? We endure poor choices by the front office and, and bad managerial uh, decisions because we love our team. And then when they eventually uh, pull off the championship, we want to say, hey, I was there in the beginning, right? We do it with loved ones. We do it with friends and family. We endure uh, difficult patches Um, difficult times because we love the people that we're with. And I don't know about you, I do it with my food quite frequently. Um, I'm not even kidding when I say this. I will sit in a car with uh, the air conditioning broken in a day that's 100 plus degrees and 100% humidity next to some dude with really bad BO if it means I can eat Chick-fil-A. I will go through some stuff for the Lord's chicken. I really will. I will go through some stuff for the Lord's chicken. But here's a sad reality. We will go to bat for sports teams. We will go to bat for relationships. We will go to bat for who makes the best chicken sandwich. But we won't often go to bat for our faith. And Peter's going to encourage us to really think the way Think differently about the way that we, that we uh, view our suffering. And Peter uh, mentioned something a few weeks ago, a few verses ago, uh, that everything he has written since then has kind of flowed from that. So if you would just kind of flip back for a second to chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So everything that he has written since then has been important. The way that you interact with authority, the way that you submit to the government, to governing authorities, matters. The way that you handle workplace relationships and business relationships matter. The way that you handle yourself within personal relationships, within marriages, matter. And the way you handle yourself within suffering matters. And as a Jesus follower, when you're put to the test, that matters. So everything that we're going to see today kind of flows from that verse and some other verses, and I'll point that out to you. But Peter's going to really challenge us to think differently by the way that, that we view difficult times and, and suffering and sin. So before we jump into this passage, if you guys would please uh, join me in a word of prayer. father i am undeserving of this grace that you have given me i'm not worthy of the testimony that you have given me father thank you for where you have brought me thank you for where you have brought me to Now, there is not a person in this room who cares what I think. There is not a person in this room who wants to hear from me this morning. So I pray that my words would be your words. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, that you would help me to honor and glorify you with this. We thank you and we love you. Pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. So Peter's going to kind of give us some marching orders. He's going to give us a commission, a a battle plan, if you will. He's going to use some military language uh, for us. And so we're going to see three commissions. We're going to see three things that exiles are commissioned to do um, as Jesus followers. And the first thing that that we will see uh, exiles are commissioned to do is that exiles are commissioned to suffer with Christ. Exiles are commissioned to suffer with Christ. And this comes from uh, verses 1 and 2. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with that same way of thinking. So this this goes back to, to 3.18. Because Jesus suffered here on earth, because of his trial and death, crucifixion, because of everything that Jesus experienced here on earth, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Because Jesus did all of that for us, we should prepare for suffering we should have that same mindset jesus knew when he came to earth what his job was he made no mistake about it. he knew that his life was a ransom he knew that he was going to go through difficulties and peter tells us to arm ourselves with that same way of thinking why would he tell us to do that well because we'll see This week, and we'll see in the coming weeks, that suffering leads to glory, that suffering leads to joy, that suffering leads to exaltation. It's kind of a backwards way of thinking. It doesn't always make sense, and it's hard when we're going through those difficult times. But there's purpose in suffering. And so he says to arm yourself with that same way of thinking. And it kind of changes things for us when we have a different mentality when we have a different mindset when we prepare for kind of the worst case scenario it doesn't necessarily make things easier but it kind of makes things a little bit more manageable right because we're we're creatures of habit we're creatures of comfort we don't like change we don't like when things are different we don't like going out of our comfort zone and so when we kind of mentally prepare for when things are bad or the worst case scenario it makes things slightly more manageable and so he says, "Prepare yourself for that with that same way of thinking. Prepare yourself to suffer. Prepare yourself to go through difficult times." And then continuing to verse one, we're going to hit uh, this, this, the first statement that Peter says that's kind of weird: "For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." So is Peter saying that? We'll be perfect in this life? Is he, is he telling us that somehow if we go through difficult times, we'll, we'll be uh, free from sin and we'll, we'll never do anything bad ever again? That can't be the case because just a few verses before he told us to stop sinning. So that's not it. But here's what, here's what Peter's getting at. Here's where Peter's mind is at. He's talking about a separation from your old sinful life. He's talking about putting to death your old nature. And embracing the new life that Jesus has given you. You see, in Peter's mind, one of the truest ways to know that Jesus has changed you, one of the truest signs that you have been redeemed by Christ is a willingness to suffer for his name, to go to extreme lengths to bear the name of Christ. To to be willing to go to the cross and die for him because of what he went through for you. And you'll notice that, that Peter's not talking about our, our devotion is found in how much scripture you post on social media. He's not talking about your, your devotion being found in what awesome Jesus t-shirts you find, although some of them are really cool. It's not found in, in, in how perfect you can get that, that picture of your morning time where your Bible's open and your cup of coffee and you're like, doing my morning time. That stuff's great and you should continue to do that. That's not, I'm not bashing that stuff. But a life that has truly been changed by Jesus, a life, a heart that has truly been captured by Christ is a life that says, yes, I will do whatever it takes to bear the name of Christ. I will be faithful to him until the end. You see, a willingness to suffer for someone or something shows our care and our devotion, doesn't it? If we truly love and care about and are devoted to someone or something, We'll endure difficult times. We'll go through difficult times. And Peter's telling us to show that that our flesh has been put to the death by a willingness to suffer. And we know that's what he's talking about because of what follows in verse 2. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Of God, The reason why we mentally prepare, the reason why we change our mindset is because our mindset affects our actions. It affects the way we think. It affects the things that we do. And so when we have this this mindset where I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor Jesus, whatever the cost may be, it'll change the way that we live. And when we're in the midst of that suffering, our focus should be on God and not ourselves. When we're willing to bear the name of Christ, no matter what it costs us. We're able to live free from sin and we're able to please God. We're no longer worried about, well, what about me and and what about my comfort and what about what I like? We're focused on God and what's pleasing to him and living for his will. So exiles are commissioned to suffer with Christ. The second commission that we see found in verses 3 through 5, exiles are commissioned to live for Christ exiles are commissioned to live for Christ he says in verse 3 for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you just as a side note because this is super interesting to me it has no bearing on anything that I'm saying to you Peter does a little bit of a word play here, right? He just got done talking about the flood of Noah, and then he says flood of debauchery. Huh? Pretty cool, right? Oh, man, come on, guys. Um, but he says in verse 3 that your pre-redeemed life the time that you spent away from Jesus living in sin was sufficient for living in the flesh. You got the taste of, of what the world has to offer. You scratched that itch and, and, and you got to experience what the, the best that the world has to offer. And now we take a look at that and we, just, we don't want that. Whether you lived in sin for for two months or two years or 20 years or 40 years, however long you were in that sin apart from Jesus, Peter said, that's enough. That's good. You've done enough. It's time to move on. It's time to put to death the sin that that holds you down, and it's time to start focusing on Jesus. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 6.20, He says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Church, if Jesus has chosen you, if Jesus has redeemed you, if Jesus has bought you with his precious blood, then you belong to him. You are his, and you don't get to call the shots anymore. You don't get to determine what's right and what's wrong. You don't get to determine what's good or what's bad or the steps that you take in your life. Jesus determines that for you. And we choose to live differently than the world. We choose not to indulge in the sins uh, that the world offers. We choose to stand out in our social and moral differences. We don't fit into the social fabric of society. Peter lists some sins, and we'll get into that. In Just a minute, but take a look at verse 4. He says with respect to this They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and them malign you There's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot going on here, but here's the bottom line Christians when we forsake our lifestyle when we choose to follow Jesus no matter the cost We don't share in the same values and aspirations as the world. We don't look like the surrounding society we become exiles Let me say that again. When you choose to follow Jesus, you become an exile. This is not your home. You don't get to to fit into what the world wants you to fit into. We don't participate in these activities. Our language shouldn't be the same. Our activities, our thoughts shouldn't be the same. We become exiles for Jesus. These sins that that Peter lists, he's not doing it for shock value. These aren't abnormal sins that, that Peter lists. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm really going to blow their minds here. Let, let me write down some shocking stuff. This, these sins were a part of the first century culture. This was everyday life for those apart from Jesus. And guess what? This is everyday life for people now apart from Jesus. This is not shocking. None of this should, should surprise us. And we should choose to say no to that. We should choose to stand out and make a stand against these sins. And when we do, Peter says we shouldn't be surprised when they malign us. We shouldn't be surprised when they heap abuse on us, right? We get a really mild taste of it, right? Because when, when we choose not to, it, it kind of calls them out on their sin. Uh, I hear it all the time. What do you mean you don't fill in the blank? What are you, some kind of loser? Wait, you have never... Fill in the blank. Wow, you don't get out much, do you? And you have not lived until you have tried? Fill in the blank. And then my favorite, so-and-so doesn't do that. He's a Christian. You see, we should strive to live differently than the world. We should stand out from the world. We should put to death our old sinful habits. And they will come after you. They will insult you. They will abuse you. They will try to make you feel bad. They will try to guilt you into doing what they want you to do. But if Jesus has redeemed you, we put that to death. Now, maybe you're you're looking at this this list of sins and, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't do any of that. Well, good for you. That's great. But here's the truth. Here's a spiritual truth for you that I want everyone to remember. Everybody has to die to something. Everybody has to die to something. When I came to Jesus, I had to give up a lot of vices. I had to give up a lot of really bad habits that did not honor the Lord. Some of them were easier than others. Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you need to die to your pride. Pride. This idea of, hey, I can do this by myself, this Lone Ranger mentality. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm never wrong. Maybe you need to die to your greed. Right? It's no secret where we live. It's easy to drive around Johnson County and, and get jealous and think, man, that would be really cool. Man, why didn't the Lord bless me with that? You fall into this trap, this never-ending trap of just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit bigger, just a little bit more. You need to die to that. Maybe you need to die to your discontentment, this idea that God has you in a situation and he messed up. God, you got it wrong. Why am I in this situation? Or maybe you need to die to your moralism. This idea that you're basically a good person. That Jesus just kind of makes you a better version of yourself. You keep on doing what you do, and you sprinkle Jesus in, and you're like, I'm good. Hit my checkbox, boom. And here's the bottom line. Everybody who's ever been confronted by Jesus draws a line in the sand. And they say, everything up until this point, I've been good with Jesus. You want me to die to this? You got it. You want me to stop doing that? Okay. You want me to start doing this? I'm good. But when Jesus pushes us up to this line, this thing that we won't give up, this thing that we won't let go of, this thing that we think makes us whole and complete and it totally dishonors the Lord, that's exactly the thing that Jesus is asking you to give up. And maybe you're thinking, man, but I'm going to miss out on so much. I won't get to, I won't get to experience what the world has to offer. I won't get to, to live it up and have fun. What about all that stuff my friends are doing, my neighbors are doing? We don't need to worry about that because what Jesus offers is greater than anything the world has to offer. What Jesus has given us is the greatest thing ever. And Jesus is greater than the world. Jesus is greater than what the world has to offer. And this is where our hope should be. This is our, our spiritual, this is what we should hope in. This is what our treasure should be. And that brings us to our third commission. Exiles our commission to hope. In Christ exiles are commissioned to hope in Christ and verse 6 for this is why the gospel was preached even though even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way that people are they might live in the spirit the way that God does and so here it is here's the second statement that Peter makes that kind of makes us scratch our head All right uh, is Peter advocating for preaching the gospel to the dead is Peter advocating for post-mortem evangelism? Is Peter saying that somehow dead people get a second chance and, or, or their sins can be forgiven after they've moved on? Well, the short answer is no, and the long answer is no. Because we know in, in other places of Scripture, uh, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hebrews tells us that it is appointed once for a person to die, and then they face judgment. So we know that's, that's not what Peter's saying. So what is he saying? The verbs are really important here, and I want you to, to pay attention to what he says. For this is why the gospel was, past tense, preached, to those who are, present tense, dead. And so what Peter is getting at here, uh, th- these are people who, who were alive, they heard the gospel, uh, they believed, they repented, all that good stuff, and then they died. But here's what Peter's getting at when the world looks at us they laugh they mock they scoff right because when, when you take a look at following jesus from a strictly physical worldview, when you take out the supernatural when you take out the life after death when you take out all that stuff they look at us and they're like man you guys are silly you give up all this stuff you live sheltered lives you don't enjoy the things that we do and then guess what we all end up in the grave we all end up dead They're like, you didn't even live your life. They don't see an advantage to following Jesus. And they would be right if death were the end of the story. But death is not the end of the story. In fact, death is just the beginning of the story. Death is the portal. It's the way through which we experience the greatest joy that this world has to offer. Death is just the beginning for us believers and, and the stuff here on earth man i'll tell you what if, if the what the world has to offer if this stuff that, that the world throws at you and say try this out if that's as good as it gets count me out i don't want anything to have to do with it because that is really sad there's something greater waiting for us as christians there's a spiritual home that we can treasure and look forward to So a life that is willing to suffer for Jesus, a life that is willing to bear the name of Christ no matter what and put to death sins and hope in Christ is a life that has put to death sin, that has been reborn, that has true living hope. And so what do we do with all this? How does this help you guys? Well, I want to give you three things that you can be aware of. And I want to jump back up to that word arm in verse 1. And if you feel comfortable, if you want to write in your Bible, circle, underline, highlight, whatever. Um, circle, highlight, underword, that word arm. Because it's really, really important. And Peter says, hey, this is your, this is your battle battlers. This is your marching plan. This is, this is what you are commissioned to do. So I want to give you three things for you to be aware of that will help you arm yourself with what Peter is talking about. First thing is be aware that suffering is a part of the Christian life. If God didn't spare Jesus and his apostles, what in the world makes us think that we get a pass? Suffering is, is a part of the Christian life. It just is. That's, that's the avenue that God has chosen for his people to go through. And there's purpose behind it. There's purpose behind it. Romans 5, 3-5 through 5 tells us, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Suffering produces hope. There's purpose in suffering. It makes us more like Jesus. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, suffering produces steadfastness. Stead, or suffering makes us more and more like Jesus. John Piper said not that long ago, he said, Suffering is the best seminary. Because it teaches us about who God is. It makes us more and more into the image of his son. Knowing that you'll face difficulties doesn't make it easier. It does make it a little bit more manageable. And knowing how you'll face them before they come is really important. The time to decide how you'll respond to trials is now, not when they're here, right? I had a football coach in high school. Shocker, I played football in high school, right? Uh, they were like, hey, we need big kids who can hit people. And I was like, hey, I'm a big kid. I can hit people. <laughs> and he used to always tell us, uh, practice like you play. Right? Why did he tell us that? Well, guess what? And I learned this hard way. If you dog it in practice, guess what you're going to do on Friday night? You're going to dog it in the game. But if you practice during the week like the lights are on and the stands are full, you're going to be that much more prepared for the game. The best time to decide how you'll respond to suffering is now, not when they come. And if you're in the middle of a hard time, if you're going through it right now, the good news is that there's still time to respond. There's still time to change how you're viewing those difficulties. Second, be aware of what your actions say. Be aware of what your actions say. Be aware of what your words say, your social media. Be careful that you don't undo your witness with things that you say and do. Be careful that you are not indistinguishable from the world. A lot of us in our social media profiles, in our bios, we have Jesus follower or some variation of that. Church, please, please do not undo that with the things that you post and share. Do not undo your witness For something as as trivial as social media, be aware of the things that you're putting out there. And then finally, number three, be aware of the hope that you display. If our hope is in systems and people and politicians and things and, and, and whatever else it may be, then we don't show how truly glorious Jesus is. We miss out on that chance to display Christ and all of his beauty. Spend time with Jesus. Cherish your time with Jesus. Fight for your time with Jesus as much as you do your time with anything else, even more so. Never stop forgetting the cross. Never stop thanking God for your salvation. There, there's a thing that, that Christians do way too many times. We feel like we need to graduate from the gospel. We, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me, blah, blah, blah. We think, oh, give me, give me something more, and I'm thinking what more could you want the gospel is the greatest news that has ever existed that should be on your mind 24 7. never stop reminding yourself where you were when jesus found you there's an exercise that i like to do semi-frequently and it's something i'd like to encourage you guys to do when i want to remind myself of how great jesus is i read through ephesians now, I've, I've really let that language penetrate my heart. I've really let that language rest on my mind. Because if Ephesians is true about what it says, that, that we are children of wrath, that we are dead in our transgressions, that we are separated from God, and if it's also true what it says about God, that, that he chose us and he adopted us and he loves us and he is rich in grace and mercy, then we can't help but hope in Jesus. We can't help But proclaim how amazing he is. And when our hope is really in Jesus, we can't help but share that with other people. Look again at verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached. The judgment found in verse 5. This is why the gospel was preached. It's easy for us to sit here, and and maybe it's tempting for us to to sit here and and say, oh, they're going to get what's coming to them. I can't wait. God God will get them, all that good stuff. That's a really poor way of thinking. It's a really poor way of looking at this. Because these people that God is going to get, and they're going to get what's coming to them, these are neighbors. These are friends. These are family. Share hope. Share Jesus. Let Jesus be the only thing that you treasure above anything else in this world. Would you join me in prayer?